Welcome to the second annual, first annual. Yeah, it's it's the Bald Move Award Show. It's I think it's going to be called for <laughs> lack of creativity, the Baldies. Terrible name. Two thousand last year we had a two thousand fourteen Bald Move consensus two host top ten. This is this is how all good award shows start out. By the way, talking about how bad the name of the award show is. Uh, so last year, you know, our, our top ten was uh, starting from the bottom and working our way up: uh, Silicon Valley, Orange and the New Black, The Americans, House of Cards, Boardwalk Empire, Fargo, Mad Men, The Leftovers, Game of Thrones, True Detective. Lots of turnover in our top ten this year, and we're not yeah. going to. This this podcast you're listening to right now is the end result of hours and hours of deliberations, which we filmed every bit of it. Yeah. And if you're a premium member, you can you can check it out. So if you want to know why something was rated or why something won or why something didn't get the the, the coverage, it's probably covered in our uh you know, the 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 behind the scenes stuff. Sure. So also, it's a format change for this year, right? We don't yeah. have a top ten, a single nope. top ten list. We're doing categories. We got we got comedies. We're and doing dramas. pools of nominees and one winner. We like, got actors, uh, male yeah. and female. We've got uh, biggest disappointments, biggest surprises. We got a, a lot more categories, and it's a lot more complicated. We should probably j- jump right jump right into it. We yeah. also got this out a full month earlier than the last year. So progress. Really? It came out in February last time? It's like no end of January. Like Man. maybe maybe January thirtieth. <laughs> Damn. All right. Um but let's talk about uh our the the best debut slash pilot of two thousand fifteen. Uh the nominees were be- uh Mr. Robot on the USA network. Oh yeah. Yeah. The great uh- uh, up and coming USA bastion Network. of dramatic television. Uh-huh. Uh, Netflix's Narcos about mm-hmm. the life of uh, Pablo Escobar, and HBO's David Simon joint Show Me Hero, also on Netflix, Daredevil, and Better Call Saul. Okay, our winner is Better Call Saul. It all feels very artificial. Yes, <laughs> yes, it, it was Better does. Call Saul. Um, so this is a tricky top. This is a, and, and you might notice some um, lack of cohesion amongst other categories. But yeah. when we're talking about the best debut, it came down for us. Uh, Better Call Saul and Mr. Robot. And we thought Better Call Saul was the more even, more mature, more polished product. Um, and something that kind of stands alone in a better way than something like a Mr. Robot or... Yeah, House of Cards. Like you, it doesn't rely. It can't rely, obviously, on on any future stuff. Although, yeah, I don't know. There, there's some problems well, there. Have, but it does have but, seasons one through five of Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, yeah, that's on. not future stuff. But uh, what I'm trying to say is, like, a show like Mr. Robot has some grand ideas mm-hmm. that promise things in its future that oh, kind of give it give it a lot more than than other shows but better call Saul is just so good across the board um minor misstep but come on Mr. Robot has one of those too yep uh I, I felt like better call Saul doesn't need to rely on what it could possibly do in the future sure because it's so good and it's present yeah and you, you got to wonder if uh when the Villigan and Gould sat down if they See the, the ep- I think the the big misstep is episode one and two the one two punch 
of introducing the series. And I wonder if they went too far down the nostalgia, like, oh, we really yeah. need to get these beloved characters from we we need to ground this to Breaking Bad to get the Breaking Bad fans. I don't think that was mm-hmm. necessary. In fact, it was a massive distraction. Yeah. But after they got that done with that and settled down to the business of telling the story of this uh you know, Saul Goodman, who we are introduced as to as Jimmy McGill. Uh, yep. Once they get to the nuts and bolts of telling that story, it's it's terrific. Has a lot of heart, a lot of comedy, obviously a lot of drama, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm I'm really interested in seeing them come back for 2016. Me too. Uh, let's move on to the biggest surprise. The nominees were, and there's only four in this category: Mr. Robot, the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Netflix, which comprises Daredevil and Jessica Jones. So I guess we could have Daredevil and Jessica Jones as separate entries if we wanted to. Yeah. Better Call Saul and Netflix's Sense Eight, and huh. the winner is Mr. Robot. Sure. Who would have expected? 2016, 2015, as a matter of fact. You see this bug-eyed dude on a USA commercial, (laughs) and it's about hackers. And He's got a funny haircut. I'm thinking, nope. Yep. Nope. Hard nope. Hard pass. And starting around episode three or four, we started getting, you guys need to cover this. And I remember, I think it was around episode five, someone said, you guys are missing the boat on Mr. Robot the same way you missed the boat on True Detective season one. I'm like, Mm -hmm. shit. Uh, that that made me sit up and take notice because that's one of my all time podcasting regrets. Yeah, uh, I got I finally got around to watching it as it was I think the same week that it was wrapping up, and again like I think I just made the case for it. It was on USA. It had a kind of goofy looking dude. It was about computer hacking, something that not very many people have had success telling successful stories around that that, yeah. that make people that are in the IT industry not roll their eyes. Yeah. I think maybe the the only bigger surprise could have been if like Better Call Saul was debuting on CW or something. Or Better Call Saul sucked. I think that would be a big surprise. It's that's that's what really hurt yeah. it because I expected be. I don't know if I expected greatness, but I expected a very solid quality product. And yeah. I I actually was delivered slightly more than that. Yeah, so not really a surprise there. Um but but yeah, Mr. Robot shocked me because uh just A, the USA name. Like that was the thing. Like I don't I don't expect anything from USA. Yeah. And they delivered, so Marvel Cinematic Universe on Netflix was also a big surprise for me just because I expected to be mildly engaged and entertained by Daredevil and like yep. a you know, low stakes uh you know, Smallville kind of way, uh, or a Gotham kind of way, and I was just blown away by the quality and the fact that I didn't give a shit at all about Jessica Jones, never even heard of her character, and that I got absorbed into that. And to to the extent that I'm now excited for the rest of the stuff coming down the pike, they -hmm. went from zero engagement with me to maximum engagement in the space of, of, uh, what, 24, 26 episodes of television? Yeah. Uh, You know, we'll we'll argue about why that should have been maybe 21 episodes later. Um, But maybe we have already argued about it. but I, yeah, I, it's it's hard to say that Mr. Robot wasn't the biggest surprise of the year. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some biggest disappointments in 2015, easing our way into mm. big topics. Yeah. Uh, our nominees, if we had, uh, we had we had a field of ten. Our nominees that made the final cut was uh, Fear the Walking Dead, Spectre, 
out of nowhere, a movie flies in. Uh, the 007 <laughs> James not? Bond. Yeah, why this is this is the Baldies. Mm-hmm. Hello, uh, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, and True Detective. And the winner is True Detective season two. It's got to be. It's not given it, that True Detective was number one on our list last time. Yes. You can't ignore how bad it was compared to season one. Yeah, and it made it was sixteen this year. Yeah, that is a huge yeah. reversal of fortune for the show. And yeah, it's not that it was a bad show. It the just hype was, was off the charts. Yeah, I was so excited, and we and maybe this bit us in the ass, but we did this big, you know, different kind of podcast for season one, and I really yeah. enjoyed discussing that with you, and I came away with even a better appreciation for it, and then. Again, it wasn't terrible, but it was kind of a mess. I agree. And, you know, I, I thought the way it ended was okay. Like, again, I'm not I'm not saying I'm, I regretted my experience, and I'm still cautiously optimistic for season three. But, yeah, I, I can't say this is anything but a huge disappointment. Now, yeah. why, would, why did it speed out Fear the Walking Dead? Because nobody had great expectations for that. People right. were mildly excited about, ooh, let's see like some spectacle with the with the yeah. Los Angeles and, and they, the prospect of a fresh take on The Walking Dead. They managed to sidestep all that and deliver just a something that didn't work on almost any level. Yeah, make no mistake, it was a disappointment. It just wasn't as nearly as big as the delta the between one our hopes and expectations and reality wasn't as big. Yeah. Um, I, I, why didn't Spectre win? Because it's a movie? I it's a movie. Don't we don't, I don't, know. don't care about We didn't it. really discuss it very much uh, for Spectre. But. And House of, let's, what's the, the, the argument for House of Cards? House of Cards, my biggest regret is that uh, it, it's, it's coming back for a fourth season. Like, I yeah. think this could have been a really great way. Uh, you know, it's, it's one and done. It's the rise and fall of the House of Underwood. And by stretching out this, this final act into two seasons, it smacks of... The Hobbit becoming three movies. It smacks of all the this latest Hollywood fad of taking the last installment of something and breaking it up into two just to make money. It's just it's it's dumb, and I don't know why Netflix is doing it because it's not like they don't have a bevy of other hits to still have legs sure. to go on. Uh, really leery about season four of this coming up in February. Yeah, but I think it just wasn't as big of a disappointment because it wasn't as good of a show to begin with. Yeah, as True Detective. So uh, Game of Thrones edged out because while it did have a lot of disappointments and a lot of puzzling things, it also delivered the goods with episodes like hard home. Yeah. And it's hard to say that anything is a big disappointment. Cause that was one of, if, if you're ranking individual episodes, it might've cracked the top five, certainly the top 10 for this year. Mm. Um, another uh, related disappointment, the winds of winter, the newest uh, book from Martin, <laughs> The honorable mention, highly yeah, honorable mention, <laughs> highly anticipated coming out at least before the next season of Game of Thrones. He just made a big long blog post on his saying that no, in fact, I'm not even sure it's going to come out in 2016. The possibility that he's going to get the lifetime achievement, it could disappointment be. award. It, it it could be because here's the thing: like, if there's going to be a flaming whip that makes George Martin write faster, it's probably the show catching up for him. Mm-hmm. Since that big, soft, hard, bit disappointing life milestone is about to occur, like 
You know what I'm saying? What incentives does he have going forward? Yeah. Sure. He's already disappointed everyone as much as he can. Go to all the cons, can. write all the anthologies, edit all the cookbooks, whatever you want to do, George. Yeah. Uh, it's it's your world. We'll we're just see you on the it. other side of the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> worst character of 2015. Ah, that's a good lots, one. Lots, lots of memorable characters. I'm going to do the full uh, field just for, for shits and grins. Uh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to discipline here. I'm going to do the top five. Uh, in no particular order, Chris, the teenage son from the other teenage son from Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, he's annoying. Uh, all of the Alexandrians on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Tyrell Wellick from uh, Mr. Robot. Uh, the, the Sand Scandinavian snakes. antagonist. Whatever. Yeah. The, the the arch Bond villain that had every affectation of every Bond villain of all times. <laughs> uh. Uh, the Sand Snakes, with all their bad pussies, and the redhead twins from Jessica Jones. I think I fucked up and read the last one. The, the, the winner of the category is the redheaded twins from Jessica Jones. Yeah, I cannot express how much I dislike these characters from the moment they appeared on the screen. And unbelievably... Even before they appeared on the actual screen. Unbelievably, it's like the old joke about Liberace. It starts off pretty gay and just... At, no, Liberace taking his clothes off. It starts off gay, and uh, uh, despite all belief, gets just keeps getting gayer. Okay, I've not heard that. You never heard that? Okay. No. Well, it's probably it's tasteless. I probably shouldn't even said it. Yep, uh, but these, these guys start off terrible. <laughs> yeah. And it just they just keep getting worse until the climax. They just about ruin the series. Yeah, it's real bad what they do now, with those. I know they literally, they're not eight free agents with their own free will. This is the writers trying to, I mean, this is the, the big problem with Jessica Jones is it's eight solid episodes that they stretch out to 12 or 13. Yeah. And the loops that they have to do to ensure that the big bad, you know, continues to be able to be a big bad, it just culminates with this just being a debacle. And you're right. I Like, they're they're... If you took the McPoyles out of It's Always Sunny That's and you a, put them into Daredevil, this is what you would have, right? Like That is a pretty damn good comparison, man. That's how I felt about them. Except they weren't meant to be funny. They were weren't something. They? I maybe think they were, were supposed but, to find the weird twin relationship ooh, they had amusing, but no, I didn't. I found, I found it, it uncomfortable yeah. and annoying. Yeah, I... Hmm. Didn't didn't like anything about them. <laughs> Pretty bad. Uh, some honorable mentions: FBI agent Stan Beeman. Yeah, from yeah. the Americans. We talked about how much you disliked him last year. I this year they just went over the top with him. It's I just I, to me ah uh, I don't know because it's the guy next door, uh, the big bad I guess living next door to the protagonist who are actually kind of the villains and Stan Beeman's kind of the hero I guess if you're looking at it with with Patriot lenses on, uh-huh. but he's just a big bowl of tapioca pudding, man. Uh-huh. He's got almost no range. Like his wife leaves him. His wife comes back. He goes like, I, I just never see him break any kind of emotional sweat. Love of his life. Who's a Russian double, triple, quadruple agent. Like th- th- goes in and out of his life. Like just nothing moves him from anything. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I think that they, they're trying to build on that as a character trait because he, you know, whatever fucked up shit he got up to when he was infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan or whatever he was doing. Yeah. Scarred him. It, but I, it's, I, and it's nothing about, it's Noah Emmerich, right? Yeah, the I, actor. I've sure. seen him in good stuff. Mm-hmm. 
this is all about the character as written, and I just I, I, I can't even get ex- excited for him. Another honorable mention, uh, Rubber Drogon. <laughs> Speaking of something to almost do, like, one of holy the classic shit. holy shit moments in the entire books is reduced to giggles because for whatever reason, the green screen, the practical effects, uh, Amelia Clark's performance, mm-hmm. gingerly climbing on the bed, she, you know, I think she's supposed to vault on the back of this beast and make him her own. She's just, you know, like, oh, I don't want to get, oh, that rubber horn is kind of pokey. Oh, no, I, oh, I'm not sure if I can, uh, uh. I mean, wasn't she, for a while, staying with, like, the most horse-riding tribe in the land? Yeah. Like, she knows how to ride. Right. I assume a dragon is not that different, especially when you're its it's you ride, you ride a rubber. You ride a. You ride a uh, meat drogo. It prepares you for the rubber drogon. It should just be a, something you just boom jump on. This is right? how we do things. Yeah, I, and, and the compositing was just shockingly bad. Never ending story. I mean that. <laughs> it was incredibly bad. Like she's just atreuing the shit out of this thing. Yeah. So I mean that's that's a joke. It can't possibly win this category. But man, does it deserve some? It's kinda, pretty pretty bad. Pretty attention. bad. Uh, moving on to Best Boomerang of 2015. Now, this is a weird category. This is uh, Jim and I watch a lot of television outside of the normal framework of what we cover on Bald Move, and occasionally we undercover, uncover hidden gems from years gone by that uh, yep. we want to talk about. Today, uh, this this um, category uh, has Breaking Bad Season 3. We both watched together as part of our uh, summer series. that We finished the full coverage of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, Deep Space Nine, you watched the whole watched thing. Watched in its entirety. Plowed through it on Netflix. Uh, Top of the Lake, the weird New Zealand-based kind of sort of murder, child abduction mystery salt, uh, uh, featuring Elizabeth Moss. Uh, Community, the NBC sitcom that desperately clung to life over many, many seasons of its life. Mm-hmm. And related Harmontown. The documentary about the podcast that Dan Harmon, creator and head writer of Community, uh, does in L.A. and the traveling show that turned into the dark, savage look into the heart of humanity. Oof. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk? I mean, so my and we, we decided we couldn't come to a clear agreement because neither one of us had watched all this stuff. We decided uh, to split this up and that we can both make a recommendation. My best boomerang was Top of the Lake. Because I watched it almost immediately after I finished season two of True Detective, and it scratched that season one True Detective itch. This oh, this this weird location gotcha. yeah. with weird characters and this mystery that you're trying to understand, and you know it's not you know don't I don't want you to set you up for like Cthulhu and and you know drug fueled spirals in the sky visions and, and yeah. single takes of you know an assault on a uh, low-income housing development in Louisiana. It's not that kind of thing, but it's got a lot of the same psychological feel for me. Hmm. And I, I highly enjoy it. Highly recommend it. It came out in 2013. You can see the whole thing on Netflix. And you picked... Breaking Bad Season 3. Hard to argue. Obviously. One of the greatest se- seasons of the, one of the greatest shows on television. Yeah, and, you know, if you haven't watched it by now... Nothing I'm going to say here is going to make you watch it. Yeah. You've heard it all before. Yeah. It's just, you know, the best thing I've watched and that was a boomerang. It's the show that launched 2015. Sure. 
Uh, well, made it what it is today anyway. Uh, I, I have a hard time, though, because Kimi- this Harmontown thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Harmontown, I watched Harmontown as a direct result of watching Rick and Morty. And then I came like, oh, this, this Dan Harmon's a really interesting dude. And I've since, uh, I've since listened to 50 episodes of his podcast, probably. Like one through forty one easy, and I've done try. I, I then I jumped to the modern day because there's like hundred and seventy seven in his archive. Mm-hmm. I jumped to and like listened to the last five or ten. Uh, I watched the first three seasons of Community. Um, I've watched a whole bunch of like Comic Con panels and stuff about this and Rick and Morty, and I mean like like at least a hundred hours of content in the last two months just because of fucking Rick and Morty and Harmontown. Yeah. And I've gone a powerful through this, argument. I've it. gone through this just just journey of like what it is to be Dan Harmon, and do I look up to him? Do I revile him? You know what happens when you stare into the abyss, right? <laughs> it stares right back. Yeah, <laughs> at, at one point in the middle of Harmontown, I remember texting you saying, "I'm I'm quitting Bald Move, mm-hmm. and I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to become a Harmontown groupie. I'm going to become a yeah. Dan Harmon acolyte." I cooled down on that somewhat over the last 50 hours of content or so. Okay. But it's still like it's it was a fascinating journey and I'm glad I'm glad I went on it and I still Harmontown something I look forward to every week. Anything you want to say about Deep Space 9? Uh there's some real terrible shit in there. There sure is. We but, watched but there's a couple, some real great shit too. We watched a couple of the highlight the low lights I guess. Ugh. And I I've seen all of Deep Space 9 way back in the day, but I completely blocked my memory. Move along home. Yeah, <laughs> That's man. That's all I can say. That episode is rotten. Uh, and I mean, I, I didn't think that there was any episode as bad as the worst episodes from the first season of Deep Sp- or uh, the, the Next Generation. But I don't know. That Let's Move Home episode <laughs> was a cry for help. It's terrible. Terrible on all levels. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Deep Space Nine is a great show if you're into kind of the more military and political side of uh star trek mm-hmm. and what that might be like um there are apparently some people who are deep into sci-fi who have not watched it i listened to a, another uh sci-fi podcast that admitted last week to not having ever watched deep space nine hmm. which shocked the shit out of me because star trek next generation was one of their top five wow. sci-fi shows yeah how did right? you i mean I, I that's the thing with people i mean how old is this person because if they're in their old thir- enough to know better, so if they're in their thirties, I don't see how you watch Star Trek: The Next Generation and then noped out of Deep Space Nine. Because the yeah. the, fi- the final two seasons and the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine aired concurrently, uh-huh. and there's a bit of crossover. Like if nothing else, Worf came over on season three. I think. I mean, he's it starts out of- with Patrick Stewart. Like, yeah, that first episode has Patrick Stewart in it in in his most memorable iconic role as Jolly Picard as sure. Locutus of Borg. That's how it starts, doesn't it? No, no. He 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 gets on a conference call or a phone call, but video I thought, call. But I thought the whole thing with Cisco was that he was mad at John Luke because he somehow lost his wife at the Battle of Wolf 354. Yeah, I guess it does have I, that in it, too. Okay. The whole thing is his wife dying in that fire. Yeah. Okay. But, in, uh, in, but he also gets on a call with him as, like, modern-day sure. Picard. And, and I, imagine, I imagine that's a hard thing to do. Sure. But, but yeah, that shows, that shows good. Yeah, that's the. Go int- watch it. I always think that's interesting about science fiction shows where like people can inhabit your body and like do, or you have like the dark and light side of the force. Like, uh, let's say the Anakin Skywalker got redeemed without dying. Mm-hmm. Does Darth Vader serve? Does Anakin Skywalker serve in the Republic? And what does that look like? Yeah, 
Does he stand trial for his many, many? Like you destroyed Alderaan, you have a trillion lives on your head. Well, Tarkin did that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I do, like yeah. Jean-Luc Picard is the hero of the Federation, but he also got mind-raped and was forced to fight against and I destroy think, like 70. I think they play with that idea in Next Generation, don't they? Well, they always Like play, a little bit? Hmm. They always play with the idea, yeah, because the Federation can't fully trust him, because mm-hmm. uh, he was susceptible to that. Yeah, I, I guess so, but not as much as I think they probably could have. Um, yeah, certainly. And I don't ever think they they play with that in Deep Space Nine never yeah. again, too. But whatever. Um, okay. Anything else you want to say before we move on? Uh, if you're resistant to the idea that Deep Space Nine deals a lot with religion, uh, know that I had that same issue and didn't see a problem with Ty it. Ty Wynn is the worst. Yeah. No, she's the worst. She's a real asshole through the whole thing. She really um, is. But... She's like the worst form of President Rosamund from, or is it Rosalind? It makes it all the sweeter when you get yeah. a little comeuppance. Yeah. Oh, God. I, yeah. <laughs> um, shall we talk about best actress? Sure. Best female actor. Uh, it's the lady who plays Kai Wynn. <laughs> it's a boomerang. It's a okay, boomerang actress. Blood out. A uh, uh, little, little leftovers heavy here. We've got mm. uh, Elizabeth Moss in no particular order and Dowd. Kirsten Dunst, uh, I guess I should mention what these characters' names are, uh, and Dad, who plays Patty from The Leftovers, Elizabeth Moss, of course, who plays Peggy from Mad Men, uh, Carrie Coon, who plays Nora from The Leftovers, Kirsten Dunst, who plays Peggy from Fargo, and Regina King, who plays Erica from The Leftovers. We've got three Leftovers actors up here. Uh, the winner is Regina King, and it was... A really hard. It was between Ooh. her and Carrie Coon. Yeah, who I think for like a two episode run in the Leftovers cemented their legacy as the, the doing the best work of anybody uh, in this category in television. And it was a real. It came down. Why did Why did Regina win over Carrie Coon? Uh I felt like her material was a little bit better this season because the kids in the most memorable episode they they went toe to toe with each other. Like as like a prize yeah. fight, and it was a it was a uh, what do you call that? A tie, <laughs> a draw, a draw. Yeah, it, it was a split that decision. Scene is it was amazing. a split decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, Carrie got to do some interesting stuff early. I think Regina got to do some interesting stuff late. But to me, the tiebreaker was the work she did with her daughter in the finale episode. It's it's hard to talk about this without spoilers because I really hope. I really hope with nothing else, a lot more people go back and watch the leftovers. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's just it's just amazing. It's just amazing what these people were able to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Carrie Coon has been extremely good this whole run. Uh, it's just Regina King, and maybe it's just the freshness of her coming in and doing her thing and giving us something different. Yeah. Um, but I felt like she was, I don't know, just more. More affecting, I guess. Yeah, for me. And again, it's it, it, I just the the art the oh man, it just anytime you can have like five minutes of television of just extreme close ups of people's faces and it holds up to like you know n- not only are you not eye rolling but you're just like hanging on every word. Yeah, I mean that's that's the perfect direction and writing and performance coming together. And the leftovers had this in spades this year. 
uh, beating a lot of worthy competition. I mean, Elizabeth Moth as Peggy had a lot of really nice uh, moments in the final season of Mad Men. Uh, Kristen Dunst really shined as Peggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to put a couple, talk about a few. You want to talk about Liv Taylor? Liv Tyler, Tyler yeah. rather. I want to talk about Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, Live Taylor, <laughs> I think is how you pronounce her name. Yeah, Liv Tyler for, you know, The Leftover. She plays, uh, what's her name? Meg. Meg. It's Megma. Uh, she's surprising, you know, in a way that I didn't think Liv Tyler would ever be. You would never use the word dangerous to describe a Liv no, Tyler, not at all. Character, you would say cringeworthy, involving animal crackers. Mm-hmm. You would say, You'd say uh, fun and uh, wild in a bad Aerosmith video. You'd, you'd say ethereal and impenetrable in Lord of the Rings. But yeah, I mean, she played this kind of really dangerous. I think is the perfect word for her. A yeah. frightening character, definitely. And that was so far outside of what I thought her range was that I was impressed. Uh, I want to go through the top 10 on these, their, their big categories, because there's there ended up being 27 on this list um, of the finalists. Uh, but uh, Lena Headey, who plays Queen Cersei in Game of Thrones, had some of her best work mm-hmm. yet. Uh, Kiernan Shipka, who plays Sally Draper on Mad Men, uh, well, you know, went toe-to-toe with Don Draper. Uh, John Hamm himself, and uh, came out none the worse. Um, remarkable for as young as she is. I think she was 14 or 15 when she's uh, filming this stuff. Christina mm-hmm. Hendricks did a lot of fine work with Joan in the final uh, season of uh, Mad Men. Carrie Russell uh, was was muscled on here by Jim. She, she judo-chopped yep. me, uh, aided and abetted by Jim <laughs> uh, from The Americans. She plays Elizabeth, right, on The Americans? Yeah. And then Jamie Clayton uh, got a another uh, a Jim Strong arm. Uh, she plays Nomi on Sense Eight, the Netflix show. Yeah, she's the best thing about that show. Yeah, so lots of great stuff. And then I could go on for the next ten, and it's still all all, all great stuff. But uh, if you want to know more about that, you're gonna have to check the bonus features. Best actor, the nominees, and again, no particular order. Uh, Kevin Caro plays John Murphy on The Leftovers. Wagner Mora, who plays Pablo Escobar in Netflix's Narcos. Rami Malek, who plays Elliot from Mr. Robot. Justin Thoreau, who plays Kevin Garvey on The Leftovers. And John Hamm, who plays Don Draper in the final, the finale season of uh, Mad Men. Uh, our winner... By, 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 a, by a wide margin. Carrie Coon! <laughs> what? <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> Moving on. Justin Throw. Yeah. Justin Throw was incredible. Yeah. That's the yeah. only thing I can describe. It's I don't I can't imagine anyone else doing this and not being laughed out of the building. Like mm-hmm. the degree of difficulty of what he's being asked to do <laughs> and, and how that kept uh-huh. on like you, you have to believe this character who's this contradiction and, and he's also got severe psychological problems and the like and he's also the voice of the the audience sometimes mm-hmm. like the show will yeah. have this preposterous situation and he's the one's like this is stupid i don't want to do this <laughs> and i i mean i don't know what i can say to make people watch the fucking leftovers but it's we cannot stop you know, giving props to the show. 
Yeah, I mean, it's... We were kind of embarrassed, honestly, at how much it dominated the actors and and uh, other awards upcoming. Yeah, we're, we're self-conscious, we're wondering, are we putting too much leftovers in here? But honestly, honestly it, those are the performances, yeah. and, like, that's the thing about that show. Like, everything comes together, and the performances are... It's all on the back of the performances, right? Like, sure. You couldn't do this without really, really good actors. Yep. And uh, you know, again, John Hamm, excellent as Don Draper, and and uh, a fitting in and a surprising in. Like I, if you'd have told me beginning the season that he would end up the way, I would have probably been mad to outraged. Mm-hmm. But it felt natural, and it felt like what needed to happen. Wagner Mora as Pablo Escobar was awesome, like, utterly convincing, and and a very, you know, again the 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 I say again because this is all stuff we talked about in deliberations. But for the first time, I'll remark that. Just his drugstore cowboy, pothead, ruthless drug dealer is a interesting character. And to the extent that it's based on reality, I mean, truth stranger than fiction. Yeah. Narcos is this really interesting tale of how drug dealers very nearly took over a country. And also, there's still a lot more of that story to come out. Maybe they do. Spoiler alert. You know who doesn't win Best Actor? Who? Who would never win Best Actor? Robert Drogon. Robert Durst. that's that's a true statement (laughs) that's a true statement um and i tell you what it was uh the actual order we arrived at for the top five was justin Thoreau, john ham wagner mora kevin carroll who respected why didn't why did kevin carroll fall that low well i don't like his character it was hard to relate to him for us he's he's a real asshole in the show yeah um (laughs) that doesn't help him that doesn't do him any favors yeah uh and I, I don't know. His character just didn't have that much punch for me. I was just like, mm-hmm. meh, it's okay. Uh, and uh, shockingly, Christopher Eccleston not even making the the pool of nominees the top five. here. He, although he was like, if we're going to finish this out, we went Rami Malek as number five. Christopher Eccleston was six, who plays Matt on The Leftovers. Bokeem Woodbine, memorably playing yeah. Mike Milligan in Fargo. Um, he's the highest ranking Fargo guy. Uh, Vincent Carthizer, who plays Pete on Mad Men, uh, you're a rational crusade to get him uh, some, I, some love. Man, I like him. I like the actor because <laughs> uh, I hate the character. And I was surprised that I liked the way that Pete ended up, I guess. Okay. Again, yeah. I, if you'd have told me that had happened before, mm-hmm. I would have been outraged. But the show earned its moments, man. Uh, Bob Odenkirk for uh, Better Call Saul, uh, the titular role of Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Jimmy McGill, as he's known in the series, uh, it's a big surprise there. Uh, as a like we knew he was actor, solid, yeah. we didn't know he was that solid. Mm-hmm. Like he can he can win an episode by coming in and being a smartass and sarcastic and this badass sure. gangland lawyer. But could he carry a whole? Yes, he can carry a whole season. He can probably carry a whole series. Yeah. Uh, then Patrick Wilson, who played Lou Salverson from Fargo, rounding out our top ten. Uh, and it's 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 murderer's row. I mean, Oscar Isaac as Nick Wasisco was uh, was got strong from from Show Me Hero got strong consideration. Michael McKean, the brother of Saul uh, from uh, also got serious consideration. Um, well, let's move on. Uh, anything else you want to say about the actors before we get to our shallowest field? Uh, the best documentary mm. and the nominees are Going Clear, Mythbusters and The Jinx. Let's okay. not be late. Again, the jinx by a mile. 
and why? Yeah, the the Jinx is one of has one of the most jaw dropping endings of anything I've ever seen. Period. Like, I can't think of another more shocking moment in television history. And if you if you've managed to get this far without it being spoiled, you need to go to HBO or HBO Go or on demand or what. However, the Pirate Bay. Yeah. You need to download the series and watch it because it is, uh, you know, I, I'm. It, it's just amazing. It's it's what Serial wished it was, uh-huh. and it, it's just just really really good. And, and it's going against Going Clear, the other documentary that we are predisposed. Like if you got a hard hitting investigative journalistic piece on a exploitative, uh, dangerous religion, mm-hmm. that's our bread and butter. That's our mother's milk. We're all about that. And the Jinx <laughs> handily beat it. Handily beat it. I threw Mythbusters because uh, last season they did something different. They got rid of the junior Mythbusters and they went to a more cinematic uh, deep dive on the actual builds and process that Jamie and Adam, the, the two hosts, do. The, you know, if, you, if you've been living under a rock, you don't know Mythbusters is a reality-based show on Discovery where they try to figure out, um, well, for example, uh, could a man dying of cancer cobble together a machine, uh, an automatic machine gun device will pop out of a trunk and kill a bunch of neo-nazis uh-huh. in a particular episode of television with just a garage door opener a cadillac and a machine gun and they it, it yeah they built it and it worked the answer is yes. yes 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 he could myth confirmed uh <laughs> and they do a lot of cool stuff like that yeah um and they've been on for 14 years it's their final season coming up um i think this week maybe even Sweet. So yeah, pretty excited about that. And I, I was really, I thought that when they got rid of the, you know, Tori, uh, Grant and uh, Carrie, that it would suck massively. But I actually think it was a one of those rare cases of addition by subtraction, giving the main stories bigger, more room to the the grow and and really blow up the production values did a lot for the show. Shall we go on to our top comedies of the year? Yeah. Our top five, and again, in no particular order, Key and Peele's final season, Parks and Rec final season, Silicon Valley, uh, Rick and Morty, and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it this was a very intense debate, but the winner at the end was Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty is an animated science fiction show on the Cartoon Network. Uh, its second season came out this year, and that's kind of when it blew up for me. I just started, out of nowhere had all these friends saying, "You got to watch Rick and Morty." Got to hear all these references. I'm not understanding. Its premise is essentially imagine Doc Brown and Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Uh, that's crazy scientist, and naive young teenage boy. Uh, except for now, Doc Brown is the, is, is uh, Marty's grandfather, and he lives with them with his family. And and, not, and he can go through time and dimensions of space. It's like uh, it's it's Doc Brown and Doc Who put together, and it's incredible. Like, take it from here, Jim. What is so great about the show? It's funny. It's super. It's funny. real funny. Uh, it has outlandish uh, concepts, which somehow get you to think about the implications of those concepts sure. in a way that you're not used to like multiverse theory time paradoxes like yeah. really old hoary tropes it it pull, likes to pull apart and consider not just the philosophical but the ethical ramifications of these and sometimes even practical like yeah yeah it's it's very 
thought provoking and, and um, a lot of surprisingly hard science fiction concepts too uh-huh. uh and it's also has some kind of heart to it you know it's dealing with a, a lot of issues that are not time and space related yeah, but if, are if you like sit down the watch if you and, sit down the watch to show you're going to be like halfway through season one being like what fucking heart this is the sure. anti-heart show well R- yeah rick is not a heart felt character for the most part no and the family's mostly terrible and uh-huh. they kind of you know uh, but I, I it finds a heart and a healthy dose of continuity somewhere in season two and i think elevates it from just you know a yuck yuck funny funny kind of show to something that i spent a lot of time thinking about mm-hmm. um and led me single-handedly onto my Harmon quest so it's got that going for it yeah but and while i did have probably better laughs in Silicon Valley. Uh, it didn't do those other things that Rick yeah. and Morty does. Uh, we had some, so I, Silicon Valley, why did it, like, why? Cause we debated this back and forth. Cause I will freely admit that Silicon Valley is approximately as funny as Rick and Morty. Um, I want to say Rick and Morty is slightly funnier, but I did watch both seasons back to back. Whereas, you know, Silicon Valley, I just watched the one season and sometimes that stuff, like same way with sure. Always Sunny, I watched all of Always Sunny this year because I'd never <laughs> seen it. Yeah. Um. So like, I want. I was trying to constantly discount Always Sunny because a lot of these funny moments, I was like, oh, that's actually from ten seasons worth of stuff I watched, not just the one. Why did Sil- Why did Rick uh, Rick and Morty win over Silicon Valley? Or why? What's the case the, the for other Silicon things Valley? that it does? I, well, I've made the case for Silicon Valley, and you can go listen to it in the uh-huh. in the d- deliberation stuff that we did. Uh, the Silicon Cliff Notes. But ultimately, I think, you know, Silicon Valley is good for me in a way that it might not be good for other people. And also, uh, I just, it doesn't have any bigger questions that it's asking, any any other issues that it raises. It's, I don't want to say one note because it's not one note exactly, but if it had one note, that one note would be comedy. Huh. And Rick and Morty has a little bit more than that. Uh, it was also a really good year for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that show, man, I love those characters. I love to hate those characters, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, they're despicable, and they're evil, and they're doing horrible things all the time, but right. I really like them. Uh, we had some honorable mentions. Uh, Danger 5. Pitch Danger 5 to people. Uh, it's Charlie's Angels with... The guy with an eagle head. I, don't, I haven't seen season two. Sure. So season one to me is it's set in like the 60s or the 70s. Like an alternate, alternate reality 60s where Hitler, is not Hitler has not been definitively. The Nazis are still a thing uh-huh. and the forces of good, the multinational forces of good. You got a Frenchman, I think a Russian, two Brits, and an American uh, are, are the danger the, the danger five and they are uh, – Waging a five man and woman war on Hitler. Yeah, and the episode is set up. You got this uh, colonel who is literally a man in a suit. He's wearing an eagle head. He comes in. He debriefs the team, and he says that you must kill Hitler every fucking episode. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's weird because it's, it's so hard filmed, to describe. Yeah, this it's show. filmed like in very like that's exactly what an Italian schlocky exploitative spy thriller would look like from the 70s yeah like have you seen the diabolique 
uh, like like uh, that 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 was sampled heavily in uh, Beastie Boys' body moving video. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's if you've seen Diabolique, it's 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 very much up that alley. The lips are intentionally. It looks like it's the, everything's poorly dubbed. Yeah. Uh, a lot of plots don't make sense. The sets and miniatures and FX work is shoddy, but hilariously so. Uh-huh. Pretty good. And then season two, which actually came out this year, which is why it's eligible for the list. Um, it seems to essentially each episode is a different type of 80s movie thing. Like there is a Night of the Living Dead schlocky science fiction zombie episode there's a mighty Morphin power rangers episode there's a um hmm. you know a, a miami vice uh type episode it's everything it's, it's the same kind of concept they're still trying to kill hitler there is a uh hitler goes back to high school and tries to be a popular kid episode it's a lot more uneven but it's equally hilarious um hmm. and it, it gets an honorable mention you should check it out seven days of hell yeah the that's one a- shot what do you would you? It's, a, not a, it's a mockumentary. Yeah, um, that's what it is. Yeah, made by Andy Samberg, and it's got Jon Snow and Kit, Kit Harrington. Harrington. Yep, uh, playing against type, I guess. Um, sure. <laughs> and it's ridiculous in all the ways that you imagine an Andy Samberg thing would be. Honestly, I thought it was better than I was. I was hotly anticipating this based on just the previews. Yeah. Um, and you know the kind of setup is Andy Samberg is a. Um, an Andre Agassi pro. type, yeah. Whereas Kit Harrington is the uh, prodigy. Like this is this child has been put on the planet to play tennis, and that's all he's known in his entire life. Yeah, and this he's, epic, he's more of the Pete Sampras. This <laughs> epic game, uh, which is kind of, I guess, it was probably inspired by that Roger Federer uh, Nadal match that we actually watched. We got wrapped up in real life, um, but it's 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 essentially a game that lasts for seven days in Wimbledon. Yeah, and and it's. <laughs> just hilariously bad uh and i, I don't know i don't know Best how to describe use of this Dolph like lundgren in like the last decade <laughs> yeah yeah it's got good Dolph. it's got uh a really bizarre animated scene with oh, a cock that stretches yeah. for days it's sure. like <laughs> yeah like he goes to print like all this stuff is real weird, yes, but it's real funny. Yeah, you, you, but I mean, again, if you've if 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 you like Rick and Morty, if you like Danger Five, you'll like Seven Days of Hell. And conversely, if you like Seven Days, of, this is like one of these litmus tests. If you like any of these two movies, you'll probably like the third one. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're the weird guy that's going to prove the the exception approves the rule. Um, shall we round out the the top the top ten? Um, was Rick and Morty, Silicon Valley, Parks and Rec, Always Sunny, Key and Peele, Danger Five, Louie. Had a perfectly fine bit is increasingly less funny and more like poignant and kind of looks at society at large. Uh, Seven Days of Hell, Master of None, the Netflix series, the Aziz and Azari. Is that pronounce his name? Aziz, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, Orange and New Black with Archer narrowly uh, missing the cut uh, for the top 10. So there Hmm. you go. There's our best comedy. And the, uh, the number one, the reason people have been tuning in and listening, best television show. Hmm. This was a brutal, brutal, brutal topic. I think we're going to talk about the top, uh, the top ten. We definitely got a lot of honorable mentions to talk about. The top five in no particular order: Mr. Robot, Better Call Saul, The Leftovers, Mad Men, and Narcos. The winner is, of course, The Leftovers. How could it not be? Yeah, and I and that's it's weird. 
that I know there are there there are people out there that just cannot believe that we're loving the show as much as we do. Sure. And I don't know what to say because you know, it's like I imagine the way I you feel about it the way I feel about the Americans. You know, mm-hmm. and if the Americans are one, I'd be like, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't enjoy the experience of watching the show. But I feel sorry for you because, unfortunately, it was the best thing on television in 2015. And and not yeah. even by a little bit. No, I, the competition wasn't that close, and, and frankly. It's, but that's the thing. The competition is incredibly strong. This just was on a whole other level. This I was like so. Michael Jordan in his prime. Like, yeah, Charles Barkley is pretty good. But you're going to take – you know, you're going to take – Michael Jordan, first, second, third pick in any kind of dream team draft. So what are you going to do? Sure. Uh, and that's that's how I felt about it. Uh, it's I don't. It remains to be seen whether it can dethrone the wire for like best series ever. But first or two seasons, the Breaking Bad. Shit. Yeah, uh, Breaking Bad. If you're Jim yeah, Jones. I mean, like I, I stand by my statement. I think that was the best season of television I've ever seen. Right. Uh, now. Season one, not quite as good. And, getting, I don't and know we now know we're getting. Against... We now know we're getting one more season and one more season only. Yeah, it's the final season, which is a good idea. I think so too. Uh, and I have very, very high expectations. In fact, that's this. This show's yeah. its own worst enemy now. Yep. Because how can they top <laughs> biggest it? disappointment? Twenty sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> this was our number three show last year. And our big fear was, wow, what if Lindelof gives in to his, you know, inner demons and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, No. In fact, there's no need to stretch this out. Like, I'm really fully expecting them to top themselves again. And, you know, this, so. this damn show, like, it starts off uh, at about approximately 10,000 BCE. How do you pull something like that off? How do you pull off multiple dream sequences and levels of... I mean, it's it's like all the yeah. worst things of Inception and any Devil Temptation movie you've seen uh, and any split personality. And somehow it juggles them all and says something important about what it is to be human and made made me feel real human emotions, which is always notable. Sure. Uh, what else can we say about it? Nothing. Let's give some love to all the top uh, top five. Uh, Mr. Robot. Another excellent show. Um, it, it was so it's above Better Call Saul, right? I, I, if we're ranking them on a list, yeah. I don't know if we want to make this a pooler list, but uh, it might be surprising considering where our best debut landed. But like I said, there that's I think, where you have the biggest surprise interacts with the best debut, and the surprise factor wins. Yeah, and I think you know, Mister Robot has a lot of promise for the future. I don't think it was quite as strong as Better Call Saul because Better Call Saul didn't really have that. That single character that we were just like, oh, my God, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the ideas that it put in place could really go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so that, that to me, is a big factor in what makes a good show. Am I, am I thinking about it after the fact? Am I really excited to see where it goes from here? See, that's the thing. I'm terrified because at the end of Mr. Robot, I saw no clear path going forward. And yet the show producers are saying this was just our prologue. This is yeah. the, this is to set up the story that we want to tell, and I'm like, what the hell does that look like? Yeah, and I don't know. It, it's a little bit lostish. It's a little bit X ish when you make a statement like that. And I've I've got my shields up, so I'm very curious to see what they come back with. Hopefully this year. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, Better Call Saul. I mean, 
you know, we, we have full coverage of that. Uh, what, what more do you want? It was not exactly a pleasant surprise, but it was uh, professionals doing television at a very high professional level with a lot of heart, a lot of comedy. Um, if you know if that's something you were missing in the final seasons of Breaking Bad, it it I think uh, arguably a more successful overall season than season one of Breaking Bad. Yeah, quite possibly. You can't. I mean, I'm saying it arguably as, as literally the definition of that word. You can make the argument and not be laughed out of court. Yeah. Uh, although Jimmy McGill cannot. He will be laughed at. No, Jimmy every McGill, time. Yeah, he he will. He, but then he he'll tries go, to string then along go to some the story about and murder, and he'll harangue the prosecutor uh-huh. until he he drops it for a lesser charge. But yeah, it's it's a strong contender as far as first seasons go on sure Vince Gilligan shows. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people doing a lot of excellent work. You know, we talked about uh, uh, Lenny from I forget what his name, Charles McKean. Uh, what the hell was this guy's name? Hamlin. Are you talking about Hamlin? Or are you talking no, about- no, 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 no. We talked about um, Michael McKean. Oh, Chuck. Yeah, but uh, Jonathan Banks is right there too. I mean, you know, we knew again Jonathan Banks could could steal a few scenes. But could he carry an entire episode where he's the emotional center of it? Uh, he did. He did. Yeah, but ultimately it was one episode, and we were like, eh, sure, not big enough part to matter. But excellent work from everyone all around. Mad Men, what can you say about Mad Men? It wrapped up. It stuck the landing. It did its Mad Men thing, and that's all we kind of wanted from it. One right? of the higher degrees of difficulty for ending a show, because it was so nebulous, and so so many people had different ideas of what would be the perfect Mad Men ending. And yeah. You know, it was true to its characters. It left everyone in a not maybe the best state, but the state that they probably belonged in. And uh, it was a wonderful piece of uh, cinema from start to finish. Uh, Narcos, number five. Hmm. Why was this so good? I think it was largely on the back of uh, Wagner Mora. Yeah. Guy playing Pablo. I think he did a fantastic job and... Uh, the story itself is just very gripping. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, it's not hard to tell this story in a compelling way. Yeah, you know? I think I would have I would have been more blown away by this show if I hadn't have read the book Killing Pablo and seen two separate documentaries on his life. Because I think a lot of the early going was just carried by people. I mean, I imagine if you were ignorant of that, it's just shocking. Yeah, like what this guy got up to and got away with, and the things that, that he and the rest of the cartel was doing as far as the politics of the situation, and then when you started getting off into like I, Killing Pablo starts off, I think right around the time like it, it the, the you know it has, it has like fifty pages of this kind of background information, then it launches right into like uh, the you know the hunt for him immediately after the prison sequence in this this season. And that's what they're coming back with season two. So the best parts of my favorite book on the subject are going to be mined for this this upcoming segment. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. The thing that really, I think, brought it over the edge for me was uh, his kind of battle against the government. And sure. A battle against incarceration. Yeah. And how he he had so much influence and power there that what could they do but kind of let him create his own prison? Yeah, and, and, you know, anytime... Do whatever he wanted, essentially. And I was going back and forth about rooting for this guy, rooting for him to fail, wondering if Columbia would be better off if maybe it was a narco state. Mm-hmm. Like, what if this guy had turned legitimate as a politician? Would, would 
you know, would he have just done it? Probably what had happened, he's just used it to make himself more obscenely powerful and wealthy. Um, sure. Which would have he, been bad news for right. a lot of different people. Um, but, you know, there's always the hope that maybe the, the, the little guys and the little girls at the bottom would would improve from his largesse dripping off his table. But I don't know. Like, but the fact that I was wonder, wondering that uh, mm. I thought was, was, was interesting. Uh, shall we have some honorable mentions? Uh, number six, just ma- missing the cut. Show me a hero. David, da- the the latest David yeah. Simon uh, joint on a late eighties, early nineties court battle between the city of Yonkers and the federal government. Uh, the city of Yonkers was fighting uh, low income and subsidized public housing because everybody knows that means projects, and everybody knows that means drug dealers and scary people and and murders and cop cars and it's a six episode run about the mayor of yonkers fight to initially he was opposed but by the end he was trying to ram this through for lots of different reasons it's about the community about the people that oppose the public housing it's about the people that desperately needed the public housing and it's like the wire played fast forward <laughs> like it compresses uh. six there are five seasons of 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 what's wrong with American politics and c- civil planning and communities and everything into six episodes, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It is, yeah. And I, I mean, the, the guy, what is it, Oscar uh, Isaac? Isaac, yeah, who you probably seen as uh, Poe. That's right. At this point, What's everyone's his name? seen him. Poe uh, po Dang- Didger- Didgeridoo. Poe uh, Didgeridoo, uh, the X-Wing pilot. From the new from Force Star Awakening. Wars movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's great in it. And I, I think... The, so this show is not as entertaining as a lot of these other shows, which is always a David, David Simon problem for me. Not only is it not entertaining, the first two episodes are almost punishing in how much it just like you're thrown in a situation you don't know why you should care you know who the good guys are the bad guys a bunch of unrelated characters that literally are unrelated to anything going on the plot yeah for a while follow (laughs) this as it all converges in the next six episodes and that's that's the other thing right that's another so david simon is not particularly entertaining most of the time but he's also extremely thought-provoking and yes that's where this show really shines and didn't quite make the top five because it's just not entertaining enough, but but man, it's worth watching. Yeah, yeah it, it does. You will walk away with a, a deeper appreciation for a lot of things about politics and you know some of the finer points about the different cultural battles we face and, and fight in America mm-hmm. and just how fucked up the political process is. Sure, um, yeah. And I don't know, and that's the things like David Simon is really good at Pointing these things out, and then how do you fix it? I don't know, but it seems like the consistent answer is we have to fix it. It's not the politicians are going to do it. We have to take care of each other, and you know, be more thoughtful and not accept the 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 standard stories about anything and like question our assumptions and you know, just because one plan fails. But that's the, the infuriating thing, right? It's not like that's the game of politics. Is not only do you fight on the open marketplace for your ideas. Then if the other guy wins, you have the second round of trying to fuck up his idea so bad that it fails. So then you can say his idea was bad all together. Sure. Like in my philosopher king scenario, like, you know, when one one ideology loses, 
then it's like, well, okay, but for the good of the country, we're going to give it everything we need and try to make sure this other ideology succeeds. And if it fails yeah. on its merits, then fine. It fails on its merits. We'll have learned something. But that's not how it works. Nope. And it's terrible, but I, I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> uh, maybe David Simon does. Maybe we can ask him. I don't think he does. That's why he keeps making these movies. He's <laughs> like, this is, this is fucked up. You, we should do something about it. Uh, just let's all make Amsterdam happen. Um, he actually does have some, uh, there's, there's, there's some, I'm actually damning it with faint, uh, solutions. I think that there actually are some, some solid solutions that are, and I I was completely ignorant of as, Mm -hmm. as much as I've tried to inform myself about this war on drugs and poverty and all that stuff. I did not know about some of this low, low income and public housing options and how, you know, they don't have to be just hellhole projects. They can, and why do they become hellhole projects? It's essentially the tragedy of the commons on a grand scale. Hmm. Like, of course it happens this way and it would happen regardless of how you did it. You know, um, it happened with, with 16th century sheep herders in England and it's going to happen in Baltimore when, when you have the same conditions. Sure. It's really interesting. Uh, let's talk about daredevil. Another honorable mention. Yeah, the, that the one... show that single-handedly gave you got you to give a shit about Netflix's superhero efforts. Yeah, unexpectedly. Like I, I've talked about this before, but I, I turned it on intending to like, uh, everybody's gonna be talking about this. I might as well just watch it while I'm doing other shit. To turn it on, like halfway through the, I, I think into the like the beginning of the second episode, I was like, oh boy, I better actually pay attention to this thing because it's really good. Uh, and then, you know, it single-handedly made me give a shit about watching Jessica Jones. I never, ever would have done that. Uh, Daredevil is definitely worth your time. If, if you, even if you just like awesome fight choreography, Daredevil's worth your time. There are a couple of good fights in there. Uh, let's use this as a springboard to talk about Jessica Jones, which we haven't talked as much about. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I thought... A lot of the problems that, and a lot of people said that Jessica Jones is better than Daredevil, and I can see why they say that. Um, a lot of those people are wrong. I will say that <laughs> I think Jessica Jones has one of the greatest comic book villains of all time. Okay, and I think Magneto's still the best because he is a little bit more relatable. Um, but honestly, the more I think about this Kilgrave character. The more inevitable it seems that he would turn out the way he did. Like he's he is cursed with these powers that so warps your perception and what you think of as good and evil, and and the fact that it's an unconscious reflex thing that happens. Uh, you know, uh, this is not a spoiler to say that he can because it's it's dealt with immediately. His superpower is anything that he suggests, other people within earshot must comply with. Mm-hmm. So, like, hey, go get me a Coke, Jim Joe. You would just go do it, uh, and you'd have to. You'd be compelled. And how, if you're a child with, that discovers that you have these powers, what does that do to you? Can you become a heroic individual with those powers? Yeah, I'm sure you could. Um, there's a path. But you can also go really, really dark places with those characters. And there's, yeah. it uses it as a tool to talk about... Um, you know, uh, the, the, the trite battle of the sexes, it uses it to talk a lot of interesting things about, uh, what it is to be a survivor of sexual assault or any kind of abuse and control situation. Um, and it's got a really interesting thought provoking villain, which so did daredevil. 
but it's weird because I felt like that the Kingpin and Daredevil was one of its greatest strengths, but there was something a little bit off that I couldn't really connect with about that particular version of the Kingpin. Um, but on the other hand, the big flaw of Jessica Jones mm-hmm. is they they have this character who is a existential threat to essentially everyone in the Marvel Comics universe. Um, so as soon as he's introduced, it's not like Jessica Jones is going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go rescue kittens from trees or I'm going to do this low work, this low rent detective, superpower detective agency stuff. Like all effort has to be on stopping him. They introduce him very early in the season, which means that they have about eight episodes worth of plot and they got 13 episodes to fill. They could have done four, five, six, you know, standard mini like standalone episodes where Jessica Jones goes around solving crimes and getting into misadventures. Maybe, you know, kind of like the way they did the Kingpin and daredevil. She's the kill grave is skulking around in the background, reveals himself in the midpoint. And then they have the final, you know, Titanic battle over the next seven episodes, but they didn't. And it really fatally fucks up the structure. Yeah. There's a lot I don't like about Jessica Jones as a show. Uh, but there's a lot to like, what um, what are the things you don't like that they're not directly that. stem from them trying to fill, you know, eight episodes or eight episodes with a show and a seven or a 13 episode season. Uh, I don't think they did enough to flesh out her friend, the blonde news okay. anchor or whatever. Sure. Former uh, child star turned in bed. Not. Yeah. She like should have given vaguely Oprah figure, I guess she could have. She deserved a little bit more attention than they gave her. Uh-huh. Uh, I, yeah, um, I don't. I don't know. That show meanders in a way that, like, it's not just the, just the Kilgrave stuff that's kind of repetitious and and overwrought. It's also like the stuff with Luke Cage uh, that gets a little repetitious. Really, that gets. Yeah, I like. There's a lot I don't like about this show, which is why it's not as high as Daredevil for me. Mm. But the questions that it's raising and the things it has to say about social issues and stuff is far more poignant than daredevil sure ever would be (laughs) the other thing is like i felt like that the stunt work on daredevil was on a whole other level whereas jessica jones i mean part of that's by design jessica jones is a super powered person she is super strong uh she can jump super high i think she's she's not well nigh invulnerable but she's she can take a punch better than most um so she's just like you know her versus a street threat thug is is borderline bullying behavior. Yeah. Whereas you've got a blind man trained to the point of physical perfection. Seems like, you know, the him versus three street toughs, that's uh, a believable battle that he could lose. It's more, a sure. lot more Batman. He's just a regular old Joe uh, getting by with his wits and guile and a little bit of a superpower. Yeah. Whereas she's just the incredible Hulk in the frame of Christian Ritter. Maybe that's a th- one of the other things I don't like about it is it's too, too much superhero shit. Uh, for me, <laughs> very little superhero shit though. For all, I mean, they could have gone all out on some fight scenes, and they do towards the end, but a couple times, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and I actually, I I don't want to do too many spoilers, but there was a point in this series where I noped out. Uh-huh. I I have not finished season one. Oh, you still of this. haven't finished the last? No, episodes? and I don't know that I will. We'll okay. see. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to hear about season two because, like I said, a lot of problems with the show structurally. Um, it's it's still interesting. So where are you at? Because next on the plate is Luke Cage. 
and then after that is the Iron Fist, and then after that, supposedly, uh, they're going to have a like a B squad Avengers. Does Luke Cage have anything interesting in his story other than? I'm a bartender who I'm sure is he, invulnerable and strong. I don't know. I know nothing about the character. And neither do I. But I like, thought the actor was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought the idea of him just going around kicking ass would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe it'll be a shit show. And, and I mean, if he's just bouncing people out of his bar every week, <laughs> I don't want to see Cheers with an invulnerable... Patrick super Swayze strong got, a, got a good solid two hours out of that out of that concept. <laughs> You're right. Roadhouse. If he if he <laughs> it, that whole season is just Roadhouse, an extended cut. Yeah, I'm good. Maybe he travels. Maybe, maybe I do want to see that. Maybe he travels around the bar to bar, like you know the coolers do. Their fraternity uh-huh. of, yep. uh, and then he he finally gets a bar of his own at the end, and that's that's how we meet him and Jessica Jones. He kills a man. He kills. He bounces the bartender right out. So what are you going to do? You're going to wait till I watch it and tell you whether yeah. it's good or okay. Well, yeah, fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, another honorable mention you want to talk about? Sense Eight on Netflix. Oh yeah, this surprised the shit out of me because it's made by the Wachowskis, yep. who you know I had immense respect for coming out of the Matrix, uh, even kind of all of the Matrix. Like I, the, the sequels aren't as good, obviously, as sure. the original, but still. Uh, a lot of good stuff to like about that. Uh, then they did a string of movies that I didn't give a shit about. Speed Racer? Um, you weren't Spe- on for Speed Racer? Cloud Atlas? Didn't like Cloud Speed Atlas? Racer was the most bizarre decision after The Matrix that I could have ever possibly Jupiter imagined. Jupiter Ascending. There's nothing wrong with that show. Yeah, Dogface Channing Tatum. <laughs> no, that's right up my alley. Uh, I, I, I actually enjoyed Cloud Atlas, I just want to point out. I haven't seen it. Okay. But I, I don't expect much from them, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so when they came out with this sci-fi premise of like these seven, these eight people who are all connected through some kind of psychic uh, dimensional link, hmm. where Do they ever explain the science behind that at all? They don't. Okay, no. that's and, probably for the and best. And I don't know that they need to. Yeah, probably it's more of a best. fantasy than a sci-fi. Sure, I guess. Sure. Uh, but the the thing that I like about the show is not uh, the plot necessarily, but it's how the plot ties into the social issues that they're talking about with gender and sexuality. And they have a lot of different characters that kind of are all along the spectrum. Sure. Just period. Like you've got a transgendered woman, you've got uh, a gay man, you've got a bunch of straight people. Like it's all over the board. Mm-hmm. So the really cool thing about I've it seen is a few episodes, like the first three or so. Okay. Did you see the one with the four non blonde song? I uh, I wouldn't I because uh, holy shit that moment is good. I know I don't that I, moment I is real good because my, my girlfriend Cecily was watching it. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if she finished it or not too. It's it's good the the way that they use like this idea of these people who are connected and all very different mm. uh, says something about the world in general and society and how we should all kind of you know come together and we can accomplish more than we could without that link. Uh, the message there is really cool and, and it, it plays out in a really cool way. So like plot, maybe not the, maybe not perfect, but there's so much more in that show to like. Uh, okay. So if we want to give the top 10 for this year, it is in reverse order. Game of Thrones, barely hanging on, uh, at the number 10 slot, the Nick, squeaked in at the, at, the, at the strength of its its ending to number nine fargo number eight daredevil number seven show me here number six narcos five madman four better call Saul three mr robot two and the winner uh and and champion 
uh, presumed champion going into next year is the leftovers. Yeah, the winner of kind of everything. Winner, yeah. If it, it had a couple more laughs, part. it would have been comedy of the year too. Uh, but you know what? I think that it had the exact right amount of laughs. It had any yeah, more I'm, laughs, I'm kidding, it would have but... it would have lapsed into parody. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's my superpower. Is I can't I can't uh, I can't process sarcasm. <laughs> Uh, in a real time podcast, <laughs> I have to. I have to. Any rhetorical question asked, I must answer. Yeah, Aaron Hubbard coming to Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> twenty seventeen. Uh, and that's it. That's uh, the wrap up for twenty fifteen. It's in the books. It's done. Excited to see. I mean, there's a couple of some things on my radar right away, like uh, the Westworld. That yeah, looks ambitious AF. It might fall on its fucking face. It might, but, but I'm glad someone's trying it because yep. it looks tasty. Yep, looks very yep. tasty. I I hear good things about uh, plus all the Netflix, the Marvel. And I know you're not excited for it, but I am amped up for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for Luke Cage. I'm ready for Iron Fist. I'm ready for Defenders. I'm uh, ready for season two of Daredevil. What's the name of that that show that Chad Coleman went to? The the extent Shh. the Oh, The Expanse. The Expanse, yeah. I'm hearing good things about that. i got to check it out. I'm going to check it out just because my dad's on it. Um, yeah. I, it's it's the sci-fi pedigree sure. that scares me. Because their, I understand. Their best uh, thing they ever did, Battlestar, was a land like a wet fart for me. So Man, I love Battlestar. All right. Uh, but yeah, hope, hopefully you've enjoyed this. Uh, you can argue with us about it on the forums of forums.baldmove.com. And again, we've got hours upon hours of, of us debating and arguing and, and giving our viewpoints. If you'd like to see, uh, if you'd like to sh- check out our work, it's probably enough to keep you busy for a week or so. Uh, certainly it did for us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, great 2015. Here's to a great 2016. And until 2016's over. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. See you. Bye.